episode 55, Max Yoder. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. Okay, I get pretty fired up on the regular, but today's a whole new level. I get to talk with the author of one of my favorite new books, Max Yoder. His book, Do Better Work, is a quick read and it's really foundational for any leader. This book and his philosophy taps into the key ideas that make a world of difference in building a company's culture. It's totally the whole human approach, which I love and talk about all the time on the show. And these practical yet profound ideas are complete game changers if you implement them. So Max, we got a lot to cover today. Max is the CEO of Lessonly, a unique learning technology that's another must learn about. Today, Max and I are talking about modeling. As leaders, we've got to walk the walk and the walk that inspires the rest of the crew to greatness. So here we go. Super excited that you've joined Gut Plus Science today. I never knew when Kyle Lacey, longtime friend, sent me your book that I would quickly become obsessed. Like literally, I've had it on my desk for, I don't know, it's been about two months now. You know, I'm on a mission to help more people love Mondays, ultimately stop coasting through their work to get to the few good hours in their week. Ah, people, stop doing that. And Max, the bold print in your book says, do better work. When we do better work, we live better lives. Where does that come from in you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for reading the book and caring about it. Uh, that is like the greatest gift you could give to me. So thank you. I've, I'm I'm uh, thinking about sitting in my house right now and uh, working on it and thinking, I hope anybody ever reads this. So there we go. Thank you very much. It is a, it is absolute privilege. So yeah, doing better work and living better lives. That kind of came over time. So Lesson Lee started, uh, it'll be seven years ago in, in July. Uh, so we're a few few days away from our seven-year anniversary. It took us a little bit of time to figure out why we really cared about what we were doing. So we make training software, and we sell that training software to, uh, to to teams, usually sales teams and customer service teams. But when we first got started, we didn't really understand what our mission was, and it took us maybe two and a half, three years to get there. What we ultimately learned is when people go through uh, lessonly trainings, uh, they they come out with more confidence and competence. They understand what matters, they understand why it matters, and they understand how to do it. And the benefit of that is that they end up doing the things that the company needs them to do. So everybody's happy. You know, I think a lot of times we we hire people for jobs and we say, "I hope you do great work," and the person says, "I want to do great work," and then we don't spell out what what, what that work looks like. So our job with Lessonly is to spell out what more what more work look what, what the what the work looks like that we want people to do, and then they end up doing it a lot more often. And what we found is that you know when you do a great job at work, just like when you do not a great job at work, you take that home with you. And and we learned that people when they were winning at work uh, came home with an attitude of you know they were jovial, they were uh, they were excited, uh, or they were just you know pleased. And bringing that home to your family, to your friends, to whomever you greet when you walk in the door uh, is incredibly important because you can also bring the opposite side of that home where it wasn't a good day, it was a tough day, and all of that is contagious. Uh, so we want to bring home more kind of positive emotions and, and make those contagious as opposed to people bringing home not so positive emotions. And, you know, first and foremost, to do that, we have to thrive at work. 
And I, I couldn't align more. And the example I love to give is that we have a whole life as a human and we wear a lot of different hats. And so if our work isn't fueling us as we're spending two thirds of our life doing this, we're never that coach that we wanted to be for our kids. We don't walk in and we're not the best spouse, you know, at the end of the day and all of these things, because it, it fuels everything else, just like everything else is intertwined. And so on the show, we talk about all the time as leaders, we can't just look at the human that is the employee as the hat of an employee. It, it is a whole human. And so whether that is workplace financial wellness classes to help them make sure that money isn't a stress, like whatever that is. So I absolutely love your perspective on that. So your book, it, it's it's awesome because it, there's so much to it, but I read it on a plane ride from Indy to Vegas, which is awesome. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, so I want to pick the main thing that you want to inspire in our listeners today. And I'm definitely going to go along the points about sharing before you're ready, getting more agreements and having difficult conversations because those are the main points. But if you could pick one thing that you want to make the main takeaway today, what would that be? So uh, I would say um, if you want to see it, be it. And what I mean is we have to model the behaviors that we want to see no matter who we are, no matter where we are. Uh, every behavior that that we uh, engage in uh, it creates permission for other people to behave that same way. Any behavior that we avoid uh, kind of creates a lack of permission for other people to behave that same way. Everybody's looking for permission for how to behave. So each one of us sets a tone. Uh, and the tone that we set is incredibly important. If we want people to do a certain thing, we first have to do it ourselves. And if we see some, somebody else doing something that we want to see more of, we need to celebrate that. So I, I want people to think about two things. What do I do and what do I celebrate? Because ultimately, that's where your influence is. We, we'd like to think that we can influence people by saying you need to or you should or you must, kind of shaming, guilting them or kind of driving them by fear into doing things. But if they don't want to do something, they're not going to do it. All we can really control is what do we do? And ideally, we do stuff that's really inspiring and motivating, and then more people do it too. And if we just focus on what, what we do, we start to see the contradictions in our own behavior. Uh, there are things that we expect of others that we ourselves do not do. Uh, and if we work on that, uh, we uh, can be uh, live much richer and much more fulfilling lives. Uh, but it's a really tough thing to do. So I think a lot of people avoid it. I think they want to point the finger elsewhere. They kind of want to cast their shadow on other folks because it's, it's, it's painful to look inward. Uh, but we have to look inward and say, what behaviors uh, do I engage in? Uh, what do I celebrate? And then we have to do it with compassion. So it's really important that, you know, if you want to see it be it, it's followed up by 1% at a time with self-compassion. And I put both of these things in the introduction for that for that exact reason. We have to model the behaviors we want to see, but we also have to realize that we are human. We are not going to be perfect models of the behaviors that we want to see. We are going to fall down. We are going to make mistakes. The good news is we have a choice in that moment to forgive ourselves and to apologize to whomever we may have, you know, uh, hurt or wronged in, the, in that moment. And then we're modeling again. So to, to be clear, we're either modeling when we do the work that we want to see uh, in the world or when we don't do the work that we want to see in the world and then we apologize, we, we can model that again. So nobody's expecting you to be a perfect model. They're just expecting you to commit to being a model. And when you, when you fail in that commitment or when you make a mistake in that commitment, just say you're sorry. Self-compassion is a huge thing here. And it's something that I think I wish we taught in schools, just like I wish we taught difficult conversations in schools. Basically, I wish we just taught us to be comfortable with ourselves and accept ourselves because that's where all of this can come from. If we learn to love ourselves, we learn to care about ourselves, and we learn to think of ourselves as somebody who can make an impact on others simply by existing and behaving in certain ways, I think the whole world gets better. But as, as long as we deny that responsibility, I, I'm not going to be surprised when we do not great things to one another. If you want to see it, be it. That's I right. love it. Let's start down the path of where this does not 
look good in organizations. So what are some typical things that are happening in organizations that maybe we can resonate with just our, our listeners that this is not a good example of that? Yeah. So I, I hear managers with really good intentions. Uh, I'll go to one that has, you know, really good intentions, which is uh, folks say, hey, I'm a manager, so I'll do work on the weekends and I'll email my team, but I don't expect them to work on the weekends. Well, you're setting a tone that working on the weekends is the appropriate thing to do. So do not be surprised when your team starts doing it as well. They're going to feel uncomfortable knowing that you are behind the keyboard, knowing that you're sending them emails. So if you don't want people to work on the weekends, you either cannot be emailing them on the weekends and be kind of out of sight, out of mind, or just don't work on the weekends even better because that's what you want your team to do. And there's a reason you want your team to do that, right? You want them to rest and recharge, but for some reason, there's a separate set of rules for you that says you don't need to rest and recharge. And that doesn't quite work. And we make up all these excuses for why we have two sets of rules. You know, I call it special logic. Uh, if, so, if somebody uh, maybe is mean to somebody at a party, uh, I say that they're a jerk. But if I'm mean to somebody at, at a party, I'm gonna look at my circumstances and say, well, it was a tough day. You know, I was tired. It's not that I'm a bad person or a jerk. It's just that I, I was having a bad day. We don't give the same grace to other people as we give to ourselves, or sometimes we, we don't give ourselves the grace we give it to other people. So it's just about being consistent. Uh, and, and that is one example. Like, you know, you want people to show up to meetings on time. Well, you should show up to meetings on time. You can't give yourself the excuse of, well, I'm in back-to-back -back meetings all day. Therefore, I'm allowed to be late. It's like, hey, you control your schedule. You know, get out five minutes early if it means that much to you. Because if you're not there on time, why would anybody else be expected to be there on time? Really good. So how did share before you're ready become a norm at Lessonly? And how is this an example of if you want to see it, be it? In the early days of Lessonly, when we were kind of coming to that mission, we also came to our values at the same time. And we've since uh, uh, revised some of those values. And uh, the book is a reflection of, of, of many of our values at Lessonly. Five of, five of the seven chapters in the uh, book uh, reflect our values. And then there are a few more that on top of that that I think are incredibly important. But the point is, we came together and said, when we look around the office, uh, when we see progress, what is happening, and when we look around the office, when we see setbacks, what's happening, we, we had this discussion as a group when we were probably, I don't know, nine to 15 people, can't, can't quite remember exactly the size. And I remember Corey Keim basically laying the foundation for, you know, sharing early and often. And we ultimately came to the phrase, we share before we're ready. And Corey Keim is our, is our vice president of uh, customer experience. Um, he was the first person to take care of our customers. And he's now still the person who takes care of all of our customers with a big, with a, with a much bigger team uh, helping him. Moral of the story is that was a behavior that we saw working and sharing before you're ready. It's just about uh, iterating early and often on an idea with other people who will benefit from the idea in the end. So a lot of times we'll get uh, assigned a task or we'll be given a responsibility. And because we think that leaders are supposed to know the answer, uh, we go in a hole and we think, well, I'm supposed to know how to do this. Therefore, I'll do it and I'll come back out when I'm done perfecting whatever I'm doing. And then I'll wow everybody with the results. But that's not how it works, right? We only have one set of eyes. We only have one perspective. Uh, when we share before you're ready, we were ready, we take a different approach. What tends to happen when we go in that hole and come back out and say, ta-da, is people are like, ooh, that's not what we needed. You know, you missed something and you're going to miss something. I am going to work on something. And if I do it in a vacuum, I'm going to miss a perspective. I'm going to miss eight perspectives. So it's important that we do it a different way, which is sharing before we're ready. Instead of uh, doing something and perfecting it in a vacuum, we draft up a bulleted outline or we draft up kind of a rough draft. We take 30 to 60 minutes to come up with the rough idea of where we want to go with this thing. And then we share it with the people who will ultimately benefit from it. And we say, you know, what's working here? What isn't working? And, and what am I missing? 
and they come back and they say, oh, I, you know, I really like this part, uh, this part I'm kind of confused by, can you elaborate? And that helps you understand that you're not being as clear as you want to be. And then they suggest that maybe something should be added. And I think a lot of times we don't do this, Nikki, because uh, we think that uh, if we hear somebody's voice recommend something, then we have to take that voice as though it were a vote. But the reality is, and I lay this out in the book, a voice is not a vote. Uh, we can come and speak to as many people as we want, and we can collect collect ideas, we can collect evidence, we can collect information. And then we can decide, because we are ultimately responsible for the project, whether we want to follow those voices or not. But they are voices, and we get to make the vote. Uh, if we don't go in their direction, it's super important that if you took somebody's time and asked them for help, you go back and you say, here's why I didn't go in that direction. You got to give people reasons, right, for your decisions. But ultimately, when we share before you're ready, we we get that early draft out and then we keep doing that over and over. We kind of, we sanity check along the way with the people who ultimately depend on the project. It can be quick syncs, it can be over Slack, it can be in person. What ends up happening is we make sure that what we're getting done is what people actually need. So good. So high engagement or highly engaged employees innovate. And the opposite is so true. You're disengaged. You're not innovating much. And so I'm thinking about how share before you're ready. There's got to be some factors that leaders help to build in the team members or even leaders themselves have to have in order to feel vulnerable or safe or comfortable to be able to share. What comes to mind to you as those key drivers to build people to to be able to have that just internal feeling that they can? Yeah. So if I think about uh, modeling, that's all it is. You know, the, first the leader has to model. Uh, they have to be doing the things they want people to do. So when the leader gets a project, or uh, I'm, I'm going to change the word here, when the manager gets a project, anybody on a team can be a leader. When the manager gets a project, they have to model what they want to see. Uh, they have to go out and say, hey, I'm sharing before I'm ready here. Here's a new idea. They need to make it safe for the employee to do the same thing, for their teammates to do the same thing. If they don't, uh, don't expect the, the teammate to. Really good. Really good. All right. Let's go down this path of having difficult conversations. So Brene Brown has like a ton of presence in the leadership world right now. And it's all about vulnerability is her platform to help people come to themselves and have those difficult conversations. From your perspective, where did you find that this is important? And what are the keys that you'd like to share with our leaders today that might be struggling with that? I think about vulnerability as acknowledging reality. I think that that is uh, what, vul what vulnerable people do. They acknowledge reality. If they're sad, they say they're sad. If they're excited, they say they're excited. If they're nervous about something, they say they're nervous about something. If they see an opportunity that they think is being missed, they mention it. Uh, and and I, like, I like defining it that way because uh, I think a lot of people hear the word vulnerable and they think it has to be emotional. Uh, but when we really put it in terms of do you distort reality, by not being vulnerable, or do you do you acknowledge reality by being vulnerable? I think anybody can get behind the idea of it's important to acknowledge reality. And that's what vulnerable behavior does. Uh, it says, here's what I am seeing, uh, here's what I'm thinking, uh, here's how I feel. Uh, and, and when we exude that vulnerable behavior, what ends up happening is uh, we communicate better. And because we're not distorting reality, we have better information. So imagine a situation where somebody is too scared to speak up uh, about something that they're seeing around the office or something that they're seeing in the strategy that they think is a fatal flaw. If they don't speak up, then we're not getting the clear communication that we need to, to, to notice that fatal flaw ourselves and, and, and potentially realize that it isn't a flaw at all or address it if, if we find out that it is. When we're not vulnerable, we distort reality. We leave people guessing. Uh, and I don't know anybody who wants to do that. So I didn't come to that conclusion until recently. I, I don't actually mention it that way in the book uh, because it took me a while to realize that vulnerability is just acknowledging reality. What I say in the book instead is it's just important uh, that we 
that we, that we say what we're feeling, that we say what we're thinking. We do it in a tactful way, uh, but we don't leave people in the dark. Uh, I basically uh, you know, want to acknowledge that leaders learn the answer. They're not supposed to know the answer. And if leaders learn the answer, then they can ask any question that they want. But if they're supposed to know the answer, well, then they're forced to act like they have the answer. And when we're vulnerable, we increase flows of communication so that we can better understand what's happening, uh, why it might be happening, and we can do something about it and be on the same page when we do so. So if I think of some of the best companies I've ever worked with, highly engaged and making an impact, that CEO is a person that I look up to. And usually you're watching all these people in the company just absolutely adore this person and they're following them. And, and the opposite is so true too. So I know that I think we share a friend, Kyle Defer. So this is a quick example of this. He was the president of St. Vincent Hospital prior to his role at True You. And he was my mom's direct boss. She was his executive assistant. Oh, awesome. I never met Kyle, but Kyle had so much influence on my life when I I had never even met him because of the impact that he he left on my mom and the inspiration that my mom gave me from Kyle. Like that is the ultimate um, example of, you know, if you want to see it, be it like someone who's totally living this and really making impact, not just in their organization, but in the family lives of those people that are working with them. And so I want to transition into, you know, one of your keys is get more agreements. And Kyle is a great example of someone that just seems like there's not many times where there's lack of consistency in the team and everybody going the same direction, but there is a lot of hard work that goes into that. Can you talk more about how do people like Kyle, these great leaders, get more agreements? Getting agreements is about uh, not leaving things up to assumption, but instead co just communicating more clearly. It's incredibly difficult to communicate clearly, uh, and we tend to not do so for a factor of, for a whole host of reasons. Either we don't want to put in the effort, or we assume the person knows what we need so we don't say it out loud. That is called the curse of knowledge when we believe that something, just because we know something, somebody else knows it too. Uh, we forget that just because we've learned something doesn't mean somebody else has, and just because we see things a certain way doesn't mean somebody else does. So we tend to under-communicate and under-explain. We tend to leave out pertinent details. Getting more agreements is a, is a kind of a, an antidote to that reality. Uh, when we get agreements, uh, we, we make sure that we are aligned on a course of action. We both want to take that course of action. Uh, we've both been able to kind of put in our own ingredients into that course of action. And then we either fist bump or we shake on it to say, hey, we have an agreement here. So an example of agreement could be, Nikki, let's say you and I are working together and you're frustrated with me because I keep coming in late. And you recognize that you've never said, hey, Max, uh, it's really important that you're here at 9 a.m., not, not 9.20. Uh, you realize that you've never actually been clear about that, which is an important thing to reflect on when you see somebody not doing something that you uh, that you want them to do is, did I ever actually say that to that person and get them to say, yes, I'll do it? Because it's such an important thing to get that person to say, yes, I'll do it. We can we can think all we want that we shouldn't have to say these things out loud, but I, I don't agree. I think I think a new title of the uh, of Do Better Work could have been, they should not just know. Because you do not, I, I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to who are managers who say, well, shouldn't they just know? And my answer is always no. If you have not told them, don't expect anybody to just know because you would not want that done to you. So when we get agreements, we take a posture of they should not just know. Maybe you see me coming in late. Maybe I'm coming in, you know, 20 minutes late, 30 minutes late, and, and you're getting frustrated, but you ultimately recognize I have never told Max what I need from him. So you come and sit down with me and say, hey, Max, going forward, can we get an agreement that you will be here by nine or before nine? It's really important to me that that happens for this reason and that reason. Uh, and I, I, I would love the agreement from you. And I could say, hey, Nikki, that's not going to work for me. And then you could say, hey, Max, I, I really need this to happen. This is a part of being a great teammate. Ultimately, we're going to probably say, hey, I'm in. 
some agreements allow me to kind of negotiate more, but in this case, it's pretty cut and dry, right? You need me to be in by nine. You're asking me to be that kind of teammate. And I say, I'm in. Now, if I don't show up on time, you can be frustrated because we have common ground we're standing on. I have agreed verbally or in a written way, whatever it is, however we communicated that first time. And I would do it verbally and face-to-face when when whenever possible, uh, especially if it's a difficult conversation like that. Now you can be frustrated. And now you can say, hey, Max, remember our agreement if I don't do it? And then if I keep breaking our agreement, you can say, this is not working out for me. You know, you know we, we have to talk. But first and foremost, get some common ground to stand on. So if you want somebody to do something around the office, make it clear what you want them to do. Ask them if, if, if they can agree to that. And if they say yes, now you have common ground to stand on that you can come back to. I lay out agreements in, in, in really, really uh, kind of explicit detail because there's ways to get agreements that are vaguer and there's ways to get agreements that are really explicit. So I wanted to give some really good examples in the book of, of, of making sure that everything down to, uh, you know, the AM and the PM and the day of the week are laid out. And if you're kind of like, hey, I don't have time for this, I, I, don't, I don't agree. Uh, you do have time for it. It's either you make time for it or you don't. And if you don't have time for it, well, then you're not allowed to be frustrated on the back end when something doesn't go precisely how you want it to. There are so many listeners, Max, who have managers and roles that don't reflect if you want to see it, be it. Best advice on how to handle a wrong fit manager from first step to transition. How do you handle that in the most healthy way for the team to still flourish? Yeah, that's a it's a great question, and it's going to be different in each case. But I'll 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 make up some things that I hopefully will kind of illuminate uh, why I'm taking this approach. Let's say that we've had a couple teammates leave that manager, or request to leave that manager. Let's say that the manager's performance reviews from their team are not coming back great. And what I mean by that is we kind of do a we do a quarterly survey where uh, people say, "Hey, I'm on this team. I'm doing this thing, and you know, I'm I'm either feeling engaged or inspired, or I'm not, or I'm feeling like I'm getting clarity, or I'm not." We tie all those things together and we say, "This does not seem like the role that is best serving you or the team." Uh, and here are the things that we're seeing, you know. That, 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 that have led me to that conclusion. So we've got four different maybe observations where your survey is coming back like this. Three people are leaving your team. You yourself have said you're frustrated. I personally am frustrated uh, because I, I, I value a cohesive and communicative team. So my request is we work together to find out a better place for a better role, either in this company or a better role outside of this company uh, for you to be in where you can really thrive. Because all of these things that I've just laid out, it, my interpretation of them, is that this is not what thriving looks like. I love that. And I think ultimately going back to the whole human approach, sometimes people just aren't in the right fit. And we see all the time in Amplify data that managers are just ill-equipped because they didn't have the training to get there. It's a very, very common thing. And sometimes it's just not the thing for them. There's maybe another wonderful fit that they can come alive in the organization or it's just not a fit at this company. And so actually I have a friend that just left a company here in Indianapolis after 11 years and the leadership team, the two owners worked alongside of him for, it was just a little over 90 days to be able to land this new position. And he just became uh, one of the owners of an engineering firm through that. But they just said, whatever you need, we'll pay for your coaching. We're going to help. Like we appreciate the 11 years you put in here and we, you know, we want to walk that path. So I love that answer. I didn't know where you were going to go with that, but it's just a wonderful illustration of leadership. So Max, finally, I'd like to know what most fires you up about getting up on Mondays. So my, my purpose in life is to inspire and motivate people in a loving way. So if I look at my schedule and I see a bunch of opportunities to inspire and motivate people in a loving way, I'm fired up. Uh, if I see things on my schedule that you know do not reflect that, then I look inward and say, "What did I do? 
you know, how did I, uh, uh, how do I maybe switch some things around to get back to a place where I can fire on all cylinders uh, and make sure that other people are firing, firing on all cylinders. And, and Nikki, just quickly going back to that person uh, who is your friend who was there 10, 10, 11 years. I think we forget that we don't have to have firings be unceremonious uh, and, and, and kind of cruel. I think we forget that compassion is always a choice. I think we forget that that the way that that person leaves the company is just as important as what that person did at the company because they're either going to walk out of there and say, I want to support this place for the rest of my life because they treated me with dignity like a human or, you know, forget that place. Uh, they clearly don't care about me. We can be definitive about something not working out without being abrupt of saying you have to drop uh, out of this place right now. Or we can say, hey, you know, we're definitive. This isn't working out. And uh, here, here's the plan going forward. And as you mentioned, here are some coaching that we can give you. Here are some introductions we can make. We can be supportive of individuals. Uh, we don't need to kind of cut them off and say, all right, now they're out of our lives. I think that that is modeled to us, which is why we do it. And we need to stop perpetuating that model. But anyhow, yeah, when I wake up in the morning and I get to inspire and motivate, which I can always find ways to inspire and motivate. You know, there probably isn't a schedule that I couldn't turn into something if I wanted it where I get to inspire and motivate. Good stuff. And thanks for making that point about the transition thing. And it just made me want to say something else that it doesn't have to be a decade to be able to have that kind of investment from leaders. You know, like today we're, we're hovering right around two years for average tenure. And sometimes people do the best work of their life in a two-year window. Like there's nothing wrong with, you know, sometimes the time frame. And so we let's not as leaders, just because I said this gentleman that gave 11 years of his life and getting that, I feel like in every area, like offboarding and being strategic with that and pouring into a person from a, you know, human standpoint to help them get to the next step is just the best thing to do. So yeah, wonderful. Max, this was so good. Thank you, you know, for sharing everything you did today. You're truly inspiring. I love your leadership mentality. Uh, can't recommend the book more. Uh, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor message today. And we're going to come back to learn a little bit more about Max Yoder on what we call our lightning round, where we'll just get a little insight on the personal side of you, Max. We'll be right back. Custom Concrete has been creating foundations for the finest homes, commercial buildings, and industrial facilities throughout central Indiana since 1969. Builders, contractors, and homeowners rely on our expertise because so much depends on getting it right. Our knowledge and control of all aspects of the job, from excavation to waterproofing to backfill, means that extra value is built into every project. Codes don't drive our business. Excellence does. See the difference at customconcrete.com. All right. Welcome back to Gut Plus Science. We're on with Max Yoder. Really great conversation. Max, I've got a couple questions for you. If you had to pick one book, one book you'd recommend to our listeners today, what would you pick? Yeah, I'd pick The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. It's uh, H-A-I-D-T if you're out there and you want to uh, get it from your local bookstore or wherever books are sold. Uh, I love it because it is just an excellent uh, insight into the way the human brain works, how we work uh, collectively and how we work individually. Uh, there's a phrase in, in the book uh, that we are 90% ape and 10% bee. And the idea is we're 90% self-interested, but we have 10% uh, of kind of this hive mentality where we are very cooperative and we th can think bigger than our self-interest. Uh, and that is just one really small section. But even in that one small section, there will be takeaways that you can use for the rest of your career. I sent this to one of my most well-read friends and he said, it was a slug to get through. This is his review. And he's right because it's a... Uh, it's, it's dense. It's a, there's a lot in there, but it's so worth the time. But he said it is one of the best top five books, best books I've ever read. Uh, and when that person said that, I, I, I knew that I was not silly to, to have thought the same because anyhow, the book just changed my life. Jonathan Hyde is one of my favorite authors. He's also uh, written The Happiness Hypothesis, which I absolutely love, among others. Uh, and I'd recommend it, anybody to read it. 
cool. I'm really intrigued now, especially with that endorsement. It's very unique. <laughs> awesome. So I'm curious, what's your favorite vacation spot? I would probably uh, at this point say the place that if I'm just going to get away for a vacation, not like a big thing, but just like a time to take a break. Uh, there's a place in Brown County. Uh, there's a, uh, my friend has a place in Brown County. He's got a house and then he's got a garage and above his garage is this carriage house. And it is one of the most zen and peaceful places for me in, in the whole world. Uh, if you look up at the ceiling, it's just got this beautiful ceiling. Uh, and it's just this house above this garage, but it's this one big room. And I love being in that big room. I love it when my wife and I uh, can spend time there and kind of walk along the creek, uh, walk in the woods. Uh, it's all just very peaceful, harmonious. And I always leave there with a big full heart. Awesome. Probably a lot of energy once you leave too. So that's yeah. cool. How about a favorite hobby when you're not working? Yeah, I like to make music. That is my that is my hobby. I mean, I like to read and I like to make music. Those two things give me a lot of joy. And when I'm reading, I'm kind of putting uh, water in the well for music that I will write later. And then, you know, if I'm writing music, I can kind of drain that well. And then I have to remember to go back and, and do some reading and do some reflecting. And between those two things, uh, that's what I tend to make the music that I'm most proud of. Awesome. So how can our listeners connect with you after the show, Max? Yeah, uh, if you if you want to uh, if you're on Twitter, it's at Max Yoder, M A X Y O D E R. Uh, you can always email me. It's at max at lessonly uh, and then I'm on LinkedIn as well. If you'd like to uh, talk there, and then Lessonly, you know, is is the company that I work at, and I love working there. And if you ever have any needs for training software, it's just lessonly.com, L E S S O N L Y dot com. Uh, that was fun. Max, thanks. There was so much here. Just a wonderful episode. Here's my truth you can act on from our conversation. And hey, you guys, you might want to grab a pen or your phone to jot down some notes because there's a lot here. Number one, we're all humans. We have to model behaviors we want to see, but we also have to realize that we're not going to be perfect models. We're going to fall down. We're going to make mistakes. And as Max said, if we learn to love ourselves and to think of ourselves as someone who can make an impact on others simply by existing and behaving in certain ways, the whole world gets better. Number two, share before you're ready. Iterate early and often. Instead of doing something and perfecting it in a vacuum, draft up a bulleted outline or a rough sketch of where you want to go with this project and then share it with people who will ultimately benefit from those ideas and be able to give feedback and work through it together. Number three, get agreements. It's difficult to communicate clearly sometimes. Either we don't want to put in the effort or we assume the other person knows what we need. So stop assuming and communicate clearly, asking the other person to repeat what they understood to ensure both parties are on the same page. And number four, what fires you up on Mondays? For Max, his purpose in life is to inspire and motivate people in a loving way. Check out your schedule and see what opportunities you have throughout your day, week, month to get people excited. Schedule it as reminders until it becomes a habit. Man, this is really good stuff. All really big. Take a swing at something you learned. And uh, until next week, enjoy the moments. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.